Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. I want to um, reiterate some things. And I want to say unashamedly that... uh, Many in our congregation ministry, many in our ministry, and uh, what you see in covenant ears is nowhere near as many as are in the ministry. Many have been and are suffering with depression. It is not sin to be depressed. It doesn't mean that you're somehow spiritually inferior. It doesn't mean that if you could just muster up enough faith that everything would be okay and you are subpar in your walk if you are experiencing depression. I want to thank so many of you who have been bold enough to say this has been or is part of my struggle. As we go forward, you will hear some bold testimonies of people right here in our church family who have walked through depression. We have people in our own faith family who have varying degrees of this disorder. There are those who have suffered on and off bouts. There are those who have fought in the depths of clinical depression to believe and stand and go forward. I respect and admire. I said I respect and admire every one of you. The world and unfortunately the church, the body of Christ at large does not have a good grip nor understanding nor has done a good job of ministering to those who have depression. Let me read just by way of review from last week a few statistics for you. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, the CDC, Center of Disease Control, the American Psychiatric Association and others, Almost one in every five adults in the United States, I said the United States, experiences mental illness in any given year. Approximately one in 25 adults in the United States experience a serious mental illness in the course that limits their ability to function and to have major life activities. Almost 20% of adults in the United States experience anxiety disorders, PTSD, obsessive compulsive disorders, and other fears, phobias. And I think this is amazing for those who are on substance, in, in, in a substance use disorder. 
Over 20 million adults in the United States have or are experiencing a substance use disorder. Over 50% of those have a co-occurring, they have a co-occurring mental illness. By the way, if you need a, a, an outline, Deacon Edrick will give that to you back there. Just slip up your hand. I could go on and on and on, but there are some things that I mentioned on the outline, and I repeated them for you this week, uh, about some of the characteristics of this mental and emotional disorder. It is characterized, I didn't say caused, I said characterized by a prolonged lack of energy. All of us have rises and falls in our energy level. But depression has a prolonged lack of energy, a recession of joy, extreme fatigue that just continues, an abnormal loss of interest in things that you used to enjoy, uncharacteristic anger, agitation, Isolation, eventual lack, the recovery uh, of hope, uh, a lack of hope that you'll recover, and prolonged sadness. Now, let me say something that I did not say last week. Sadness and depression are not the same thing. Sadness is a very real, common, basic human emotion. You're going to have sadness in this journey. But sadness rises and falls. Even if you have sadness, you can still at times laugh. You can still have activities that you enjoy. There can still be mental distraction where you don't think about how sad you are. Depression, on the other hand, lingers and stays on you like a cloud. And you just hardly ever are able to laugh, enjoy, uh, recuperate. It just lingers on you. Depression is a mental illness. Sadness is a basic human emotion. So everybody understand that there is a difference. But I will say this, that almost in every case, according to the research I've done, prolonged sadness, sadness that does not lift, is a symptom of depression. It affects our total person, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, it really works against our relationships and their development. How many of you know that it is very difficult on relationships to keep on investing when someone is not able to receive it? It is extraordinarily difficult. It is also vocational. The deeper you sink into depression, it will affect your income. It will affect your ability. 
to do what you're assigned to do in your life's work. It affects every area of our life. There are some real contributors, and I will uh, mention those. By the way, the uh, American Psychiatric Association has a little different list than I have. Let me give you what their list is. Feeling depressed throughout the day or on most or even all days. A lack of interest and enjoyment in activities you used to find pleasurable. Trouble sleeping or sleeping too much. Trouble eating or eating too much, coupled with weight gain or weight loss. Irritability, restlessness, agitation, extreme fatigue, unwarranted or exaggerated feelings of guilt or unworthiness, feeling dirty all the time, an inability to concentrate or make decisions, and even suicidal thoughts or actions, thinking a lot about death or dying. In just a minute, you're going to see from the scriptures a mighty champion in the Lord who was very depressed. And how God addressed it and how he began to break free of it. There are contributors, extreme fatigue. How many of you know that it's a whole lot more fatiguing for your mind to be worn out than it is your body? Your body recuperates a lot faster than your mind and emotions do. Amen. <clears throat> Sometimes a contributor is chemical. I have people who have espoused the belief that if you just pray enough and have enough faith that you ought to be able to be instantly delivered from depression. What a heavy yoke and burden to put on somebody. Are you listening to your pastor? It is not true. It is not true. Sometimes the Lord has healed some people instantly, and that is a powerful testimony and hope. But most of the healings that I see in Jesus is anointed to heal mental and emotional illnesses as well as physical. But as I told you last week, sometimes healing is a journey. And even in Jesus, some, there was a man he touched, and the Word says, and the man began to amend. He started the process. It took a while for it to be totally manifested. So don't put a yoke of guilt on somebody, listen, just because they didn't experience the same experience you had. It is sometimes mental and emotional trauma will be a contributor to depression, intense and prolonged pressure. Some of you are under extraordinary pressure at work. When that is on and on and on and on and on, and its intensity and duration is great, it can be a contributor to mental and emotional fatigue, which is a great contributor to depression. Sometimes a loss of hope, or even the loss of a loved one, the loss of a marriage, the loss of children, 
the loss of relationships that you valued, the loss of income, loss of any kind that is deep enough can be a contributor to depression. Hope deferred. Proverbs 13, 12 says it like this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But joy realized is a tree of life. Proverbs 18, verse 14 says, a broken spirit. The spirit of a man, listen, some of you are struggling long term. The spirit of a man can bear his illness, but a broken spirit, who can bear? Contributors. Socially, sometimes the rejection of others that we wish would love us. Sometimes, do you know that some people were never told, at least not aggressively, by their parents that they were loved? Never told, I am proud of you. I wouldn't trade you for any boy or girl in the world. Rejection can start and build over a long time. Withdrawal. I don't know about you, but what I'm noticing is that uh, a lot of our young people don't get out and play anymore. They don't have any imagination. All they're doing is looking at a screen every waking moment. There's no recreation. There's no creative things in many. And I'm about to tell you something that maybe you hadn't thought of. Social media is a contributor to depression. You say, no, wait a minute, Pastor. How is that? Listen, here's why. Watch. Can I ask you something? Are you about to get addicted to social media? Are you constantly reaching for your iPhone or, or that iPad or whatever it is, that electronic device, to see what it's going to say to you? Are you constantly looking, are you constantly receiving messages from that apparatus right there? If you are, your brain is overloaded, it's tired, and you don't know it. You begin to feed on that information, and do you know that? That information causes an emotional response. When you read certain things that are going on in this world, what somebody said about somebody else, when you're constantly getting information Every waking moment of your life, your brain is overloaded. It, you, what you take into your mind requires an emotional response. And you are responding whether you ever let it out or not. It's making you tired on the inside. Pastor, are you against social media? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It can be a wonderful, wonderful gift. But you know what? You ought to own your phone and not your phone own you. Ask yourself this question, am I addicted to having to constantly look at that apparatus and see what it's saying? I speak and I have oversight of a lot of people in ministry 
And I want to tell you something that you already know. You and I can be very vulnerable to addiction to social media because we are constantly on call. Sometimes you need to draw a few lines and do like Jesus did and be unavailable. Jesus was unavailable to his own disciples at certain times. He did not respond right when, he didn't jump when they said frog or frog when he said jump, however you want to say it. So let's ask ourselves some serious questions here. Am I getting mentally worn out because of, and, you know, spiritually, the spiritual realm can be a contributor to depression. Did you know that the devil would like nothing better than to oppress you? You know what oppression is? constant pressing on you that makes you anxious or keeps you from being able to rest or take a deep breath. Do you know that demonic activity is very attracted, very attracted to those who are worn out? The devil is attracted to weakness that, because he's an opportunist. What does the word say in 1 Peter 5? Beware, be on the alert. Your devil, your adversary, the devil, roams about looking for someone to devour. And you know what the context of that passage is? Somebody who does not cast all their cares over on the Lord. Somebody who's weighted down with their own cares and worries and anxieties. Very much of an attractive target. Spiritually, the devil can also have an assignment and an assault. Do you know, <clears throat> and I'm going to uh, show this passage to you at some point, that the man that was used by God to write 13 books of the New Testament, you know what he said? There was a time in his life where he said, I despaired even of life. I didn't want to live another day. You believe that? So what I'm trying to tell you is, that sometimes the spiritual, there is a spiritual attack of depression to, to keep us from being fully functional in, in our walk with the Lord. I want you to turn with me now to 1 Kings. 1 Kings, and I want you to go to chapter 18 with me. And uh, I, I'm going to have to breeze through the background of this, but I promise you we're going to get and take a look very briefly into a great champion's life. His name was Elijah. He was a magnificent prophet of the Lord, Elijah. I can't, I can't emphasize too much what, what a great man. Who else besides Ron Gofan grew up in Judaism? Anybody else? Arnold's not here today. Phil's not here today. Gentiles cannot imagine how powerful Elijah was, can they, in the Jewish mind. I mean, he is a champion. Remember what the disciples said when Jesus was transfigured. They said, you want us to build 
you want us to build a, a tabernacle here? One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. He was in the elite. He was in the elite. When Jesus began to do miracles, it spread among the Jewish constituents, Elijah's back. He's come back. Oh, he, he, he was in the realm of the Hall of Fame and God's servants. Let me tell you one of the reasons, one of the ways, just one way he got there. The, the people of Israel had really fallen away from God. In fact, they'd fallen away so badly that their king, Ahab, had married a woman named Jezebel, a pagan. And under her influence and under his own deceitful, wicked heart, they stopped worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of heaven, and started worshiping little pagan deities called Baals. In fact, Jezebel had ordered the murder of all of the prophets of the living God. Elijah, in his walk with the Lord and under his calling and assignment, went to the king and looked him in the eye and he said, until I say so, because of this sin and the turning away from the Lord God Almighty, until I say so, it's not going to rain. Can you imagine what Ahab and Jezebel, how they laughed when Elijah left? He said, it's not going to rain. Well, they weren't laughing because three years later, without a drop of rain, the Bible says, not even any dew. Three years the famine was awful. Death was happening everywhere. And Elijah went back to Ahab. Ahab was a little more willing to listen now. Amazing how pain does that to us, isn't it? And he said, let's have a showdown. You want it to rain? It's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Oh, man. Let's have a showdown. Ahab said, all right, and he called all the nation of Israel together. And Elijah said, let's make a deal. What do you got to lose? Let's get all the prophets of Baal to gather around a cut up bull, an animal, lay it on, a, on, on some wood, and you pray that Baal would hear you and send rain. And he said, then I will get on the altar of God, the Lord God Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will pray that God will send rain and we'll see who answers. And everybody said, sounds like a good deal. Sounds right. So the Bible says there in 17 and 18 of 1 Kings that the prophets of Baal, and did you know there were 450 of them, plus 400 prophetesses, 
So there, there were 850 spiritual agents of Baal and only one Elijah. And so the Bible says that they got up there and they started praying. Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. Send rain. Oh, Baal, hear us. And the Bible says they started at early in the day and they went all day long and nothing had happened. And so when dark was beginning to fall, they got desperate. And the Bible says they began to jump around. Oh, they began to hop and jump and say, hear us, Baal. Hear us, Baal. You didn't know a 70-year-old guy could do that, did you, Bob? Hallelujah. I can do a lot under the anointing of the Spirit that I can't do in the natural. I can tell you that right there. And the Bible says nothing. And so they begin to cut themselves to say, if we bleed, we'll get his attention. And Elijah began to mock them and said, go ahead and do whatever you want to do. He may be on vacation. <laughs> all day they cried out, nothing. So Elijah said, all right. Everybody come over here. My turn. And this is the Franklinian uh, paraphrase of that passage, okay? True to the word, I guarantee you. He said, everybody come over here, and before we do that, I want 12 stones to represent all the tribes of Israel, 12 big rocks, place them around, put them together, lay wood on them, and uh, then he prepared the bull, laid its pieces out there, and he said, you know, before I start praying, uh, I want you guys to do me a favor. Dig a trench around this altar. Trench? For what? Dig a trench around the altar. And he was about to get up there and pray, and he said, you know, before I start, there's one other thing I want you to do. I want you to go fill four big water pots, and there wasn't much water left. Fill four big water pots, and I want you to douse this bull with water. Wait a minute. Everybody knows that water resists fire. And he said, do it again, and then do it one more time. And the Bible says there was so much water that it doused the bull and ran down into the trench. Then Elijah stood on the altar, and he said, O oh Lord God Almighty, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, reveal to these people that you, you, are God. You are God. You are God. And the Bible says that out of heaven fire came and immediately, immediately ate up that bull, ate up everything on the altar and ate up all the water in the trench. And the people fell on their faces and said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, he is God. Oh, for some more prophets with the spirit of Elijah. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah went to King Ahab, that wicked man and wife Jezebel. And he said, and this was another meeting. 
And he said, okay, uh, if I'm you, I hightail it back to the city they had met out in the countryside. And Ahab's like, why? He said, because it's about to rain. And there was not one single sign of rain anywhere in the atmosphere, none. Dry as a bone. The Bible says Elijah went to a certain place and he sat down with his head between his knees and he petitioned the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for rain. He had a servant and he said to that servant, go out there and look over the cliff and see if, see if anything's happening. I can identify with that. Can't you all pray for something? Did it happen yet? The servant came back and said, nothing. He went back to prayer. He said, go check it. Nothing. He went to prayer. Go check it. Seven times this great man of God sent his servant out. And he said, anything going on? Can I tell you something? If God has something deeply in your mind and heart, don't you dare quit on number six. And on the seventh time, seven times, the servant came back and he said, well, I see something. But he said, it's a cloud, but it's the size of a man's hand. Ahab got up from prayer and he said, go get, Ab go, go get Ab uh, Ahab. And that's when, and I got my timing a little bit wrong there, you go, go get Ahab and tell him that he better hightail it to the city because it's about to rain. And the Bible says that incredible black clouds began to form. And it was no time till huge gushing rains fell on the land. That's the kind of man we're talking about, okay? Do you understand that? Does everybody understand the context of the man we're talking about? A mighty man. But something happened. Ahab went back and told his wife Jezebel, and she sent a word to Ahab, and she said, you better beware before this day is over. I vow I will kill you before this day is over. And you know what this great and mighty man of God did? The man that called down fire, the man who prayed in a storm, he ran for his life. Let's look at chapter 19. I want you to see this. We won't be long. Verse 3 tells us when he, when Elijah saw that there had been a death warrant put out on him, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed. He prayed that he might die. And here's what he said. It is enough. You know what he's saying? I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my father's. I want you to see something about this 
journey with depression that Elijah had, it happened to him after great success. After mighty spiritual victories. How many of you know that we can also be vulnerable to this attack after great things have happened? But I want you to see something. He had lost his perspective. What do you mean by that? He'd called down fire. He'd prayed in rain. And now this wicked woman who is described in Scripture as a controlling, manipulative servant of the devil who primarily attacks men and women of God. It's a Jezebel spirit. Everybody understand that? He ran for his life. He lost perspective of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sometimes when we begin to get depressed and something can, can switch it just like that, we lose our perspective. We lose the goodness and the grace of God. And we need to go back and constantly remind ourselves of what God has done in the past. And we need to get into an atmosphere of praise and thanksgiving for what he has done in the past, for who he is. That if, that if the whole nation could repent, God wasn't going to let that woman take him out on a premature exit. He lost his perspective. We need, he, he needed to get back and remember and get into that place of thanksgiving. Notice in verse 4, he hit rock bottom. He said, it is enough. I have had enough. Fourteen years ago, I told the Lord I had had enough. I'll be real honest with you here. I asked the Lord to let me come home. I'd been through 18 years of journey. Dina and I had, our whole life, the rug had been pulled out from under us. What we hoped and believed and stood for seemed gone. And in the next few months, I was just struggling to get through the day. I, went, I came back to work in seven weeks. I've never even been on a sabbatical. That's probably not wise. But I couldn't even seem to get through in my prayers. It seemed like the heavens were brass. Can anybody say, Pastor, I've been there? Nothing. I had no direction. And I began to feel like something was wrong, so I went to see my physician he began to get tests going. It was discovered, as I said recently, 200% blocked arteries in 195. And he says, you've got to have open heart surgery. So I said to the Lord, I've had enough. I'm done. And you are in control of everything, but I would tell you it would really be a blessing to me if while I'm in this deep anesthesia on this open heart surgery, you would just take me on to be with you. I think that would be a great time in a great way. I've had enough. 
You ever been there? It's a dark place. It's a dark place. But I said to the Lord, if Dina chooses to share something when she's ready, she can tell you about her own experience. Um, And some of the people in this congregation have already told me they would be willing to give a testimony of their own journey. I I greatly admire them. That's going to happen. But I did tell the Lord, it's up to you. Jim and Kathy came to my house. They didn't know that I secretly wanted to leave the night before the message, the night before the surgery. And uh, they told me, you're not going anywhere. We need you. Something began to rumble in my spirit. Now I want to say to y'all, you hear me? You ain't going anywhere. We need you. That was unplanned. Let me tell you this. You can hit rock bottom and it's not bad. It just feels terrible. But it can be the place from which you're reborn. It can be the place where hope will rise again. It can be a place where your whole life begins to change and the past does not define you anymore. You can go on to a new level of, of walking with the Lord in a, in, a, in a life that you didn't think you could have anymore. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. Don't say you're never going to do something again. You leave that up to the Lord. He hit rock bottom. And notice what happened when he hit rock bottom. I love this. He prayed that he might die. He hit rock bottom. He said, Lord, take my life. And then, verse 5, he laid down and slept. Hmm. He laid down and slept. He poured out his heart to the Lord. I don't want to do this anymore. And he laid down and slept. And suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, verse 5, arise and eat. This is amazing to me. In his deep state of depression, God said, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you to rest and eat. I'm going to start with the physical. See, that's where a lot of believers is. No, I'm going to start with the physical. You need to get some rest and you need to eat. Now go on. Verse 6, he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank, and guess what he did next? He laid down again. He took another nap. Hallelujah. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him, and he said, rise up, get up, and eat. Because the journey is too great for you. You know what he's saying? You're not ready yet. 
You think you are, you want to be, but you're not ready yet. My timing is perfect. And I told you to lay down and eat and take care of some physical things. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days. And can I tell you something? It's going to turn around. It is going to turn around. Then verse 9, he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Hmm, wow. What are you doing here, Elijah? He addressed the physical. And notice what Elijah said. I have been very zealous for the Lord God the Lord of hosts, the fighting God. For the children of Israel, I have really, really ministered to my faith family, but they have forsaken your covenant. They tore down everything that used to be special to them, tore down the place of worship. They even killed your prophets. They wouldn't listen to us anymore and even killed us with the sword. I alone am left. There's nobody left but me. They seek to take my life. How many of you know when we begin to get depressed, we tend to think we're the only ones that are going through what we're going through. And listen, we tend to believe nobody else understands. Nobody else wants to have anything to do with us. That we're the only ones. But the the beautiful thing is he poured out his heart to the Lord. And notice what the Lord said in verse 11. Are you looking at it? How dare you talk to me that way? Why, I'm going to spank you. Is that what yours says? You better get yourself up from here, boy, and quit acting like that. Is that what the Lord said? Not a chance. Not a chance. My daddy used to say that. Well, God ain't your daddy. Look at verse 11. God said to him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Just, Just go out there and listen. Listen to me. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you. I'm telling y'all, sometimes you can't hear the voice of the Lord until you hit rock bottom. Is no fun, but it can be the greatest place of your life. And God said, go out there and listen for my voice. And the word says, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces. Boy, that's a powerful move of God in it. But the Lord was not in the wind. Hmm. After the wind... There was an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. My goodness, I mean, you want a power encounter? It wasn't there for Elijah. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. No miracles. The voice of the Lord was not in those miraculous works. After the fire came a still, small, whispering voice. 
just a gentle nudge. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out to stand at the entrance of the cave. He did that because of the holiness of God's voice. And a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah gave the same answer. I, I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. And everybody's left and not listening to you. They've forsaken your covenant and killed all the prophets before me, and I'm by myself. There's nobody but me. Nobody understands. Nobody wants what I'm selling. Nobody but me. And the Lord said to him, verse 15, you're a liar, I don't believe you. No. Listen, listen to the gentleness of the Lord. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, I want you to anoint, I want you to anoint Hazel, king of Syria. Uh, Syria. I want you to uh, anoint Jehu as king over Israel. We're going to replace Ahab. And then, listen to this, I want you to anoint Elisha, Listen, I want you to anoint Elisha as prophet in your place. You know what? Some of us need to hear the voice of God, and we need to start looking for the prophets to take our place. Do you understand me? You need to start investing in younger people in your life if you're over 50. God has given you a mission, and that is to invest in these younger people as leaders in, in the kingdom of God. You better be about that business. I'm going to get you in ministry partnership with the one who's going to take your place. I kind of like that, don't you, Rock? So what happened? He did it. He just started obeying those simple instructions. Here's the principle for us. Sometimes right after you hit rock bottom, if you'll learn to listen to the voice of God, He's going to give you a new assignment with new partners. So let's, let's get a, a, the high points of how do we take action against depression based on the evidence of a man of God here. Get some rest. Eat some good food. Pour out your heart to the Lord. God doesn't beat you up for telling him how it feels to you. David said, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God said, there's a man after my own heart right there. Yeah. He's not offended by you pouring out your heart to him. Get moving. Be willing to listen to the voice of God. Whatever you do, don't stay by yourself in an isolated place. The devil is very attracted to those who are isolated. Swallow your pride and tell somebody in a place of spiritual leadership and even a professional voice 
that you can trust. Avoid isolation. And stay the course. You will get through this. You will get through this. I noticed that Pastor Rick Warren, the pastor of the mega, mega church out in California, shared with his congregation not too long about his journey with depression. I admire him for that. I see where Chris Hodges recently, on a, on a Sunday recently, got up in front of his congregation and told his flock about a one-year journey he had with depression. Louis Giglio, who I greatly admire, who has, uh, he and I uh, were together on a mission uh, assignment one night, um, has written an article on a year's journey with depression. What I'm trying to tell you is this, it's not shameful, it's not sinful. It is prevalent in the body of Christ, but you can get through this. You can get through this. Remember those action steps and make up your mind with all your heart and will after you have come out of isolation and got reinforcement of prayer that you will go on. You will go on. One of the main reasons why Elijah is still revered is because he chose in that deep lock of depression. I will go on. I want to tell you something. If you make that decision that you will go on, you will have advances and setbacks. You'll have some good days and some not so good days. You'll go forward and sometimes you'll retreat back. But if you will not be moved off of that decision, I will go on. God will prove himself faithful to you. You will get through this. I want you to bow your heads with me. In just a moment, I want you to listen in closing to a song, a message in song that I believe that there's some in this congregation today, and we, we don't have walk forward con- uh, invitations as uh, many churches do. But if the Lord stirs your heart and you are making, you you are stirred to make a decision between you and the Lord as you have fought with whatever it may be, be it depression or whatever it is that is trying to steal your hope, maybe the Lord would prompt you to just stand during this as a testimony that you will go on. I want you to be able to open your eyes and see the words to this song. Let it minister to you.
to remove burdens and break yokes. One of the things he's anointed to do is preach release to the captives, to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus, I ask you, as I've been praying regularly for these in the sound of my voice, I ask you to remove the burden and break the yoke of oppression and depression, of the shackles, oh God, in our minds and emotions that keep us from clearly hearing that still, small voice. Thank you that you're interested in every bit of our deliverance, physical, mental, emotional, relational, spiritual. Jesus, you who break the burdens, you who break the yokes by your spirit, just cut the chains of oppression and depression off your people today. We trust you, O oh God, whether it's in an instant or in a process, we ask you and believe and trust you, anointed one, to do just that. We cry out to you, we pour out our heart before you, and we fully expect you to do what only you can do. We trust you, we will go on. Hallelujah. Strengthen and fortify those who have resolved today to go forward. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for being here today. We continue this series in two weeks. Go with God. He's going with you. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.